Welcome to Let Me Know How It Is, a podcast about all things geek. We're revisiting our favorite single issues in comics for today's show. Thanks for listening. So guys, believe it or not, this week is our one year anniversary here on Let Me Know How It Is. So I thought it'd be fun to revisit our very first topic on the show. Favorite single issues in comics. I'm Zach Slater. I'm Frank Melman. This is Tommy Smith-Reigns. And I'm Clifton. So, single issues, one and dones, as they are sometimes called. We each did three last year, but there are literally thousands to choose from, so let's do some more. Happy anniversary, guys. Happy anniversary. Someone start us off. The one that brings to mind my favorite issue, and I, I, and I completely forgot about, but I remember reading it, and it was just a nice, quick issue, action feel. It was G.I. Joe number 21, Silent Interlude. Hmm. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. With, uh, I almost had that one. <laughs> Isn't it a good one? I, I, I totally forgot how much I loved it because there was a callback to it in, um, I think, the second Joe annual in which they try to bring back that feel again, but it wasn't as great as, the, uh, as number 21. I love that dumb issue. And it, it's funny because <laughs> I think there's certain rumors as to why it was a silent issue. Mm-hmm. In which, okay, um, what do you got? Rumor has it that uh, Hamill was rushed and he was a little late on the um, the details of it. So in order to push it forward without missing the monthly, he just took out the dialogue. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> yeah. I never heard that. That was nuts. That's a kind of classic Marvel. I've, I've not heard that either, but I can imagine that being a story coming out of the Marvel bullpen at that time. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's one of those issues that, you know, for... Uh, like, like people kind of ape it sometimes. Like everybody likes to take a take a a, a spin at trying to do something like that every once in a while, oh. right? Oh, my fault. Excuse me. Yeah, but my fault. That was the rumor. I'm, I apologize. That was the mm. rumor, and what's for most of the case, that's what everyone believed. But it, but it wasn't exactly as all rumors are. Exactly how it was. They said it was true that the issue was produced in haste, as the book was behind the schedule, leaving Larry Hammer not only to write the issue but draw the issue as well. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. He. Yeah. It, it's that. It has the cover with uh, Snake Eyes in his classic uniform, a mm-hmm. wall scaling with the Uzi in his hand, just gunning down Cobra. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Not I like, love that. Issue. Not like the cartoon. No. Right. No. <laughs> no lasers here. Bullet shells everywhere. It's got like one word in it only. I remember. I remember that Destro's looking at a screen that says like intruder. Yes. Yes. He, like, yeah. like, that's the yeah. only reading you have to do in that issue. At yes. All. No. You're 100 oh, wow. correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But what, to what got me was, how in the heck did Storm Shadow get Scarlet? Because oh, that's it, right. Yeah, yeah, you know, I've never read issue 20, so I don't know if there was any setup for that. That's true. That's a good point. Well, I think there wasn't any. So what's the general setup of this issue? Well, the general setup is, it starts out with Storm Shadow has what looks to be somebody, or I thought it was a mannequin or something, or like trash. But it's, it's, it's someone wrapped in tarp. And he puts uh, the person standing in front of Destro and Cobra Commander. And with a swipe of his sword, it reveals it to be uh, a captured Scarlet. Okay. So they set, they chained Scarlet to this, um, I want to say Silo. I forget what it was. Mm-hmm. And they leave her as bait for some reason. And the whole episode is, uh, uh, the whole issue, excuse me, is Storm Shadow um, infiltrating Cobra. And getting Scarlet out of there, which he does in spectacular yeah. fashion. 
Snake Eyes. You said oh, wow. Star Trek. Said, yeah, wow. Snake Eyes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's how excited I'm. I forget Snake Eyes entirely. <laughs> yeah, it's a great issue. Yeah. I love it. I love that one. Yeah. And it happens so fast, it makes you want to read it like three times in succession because of how cool it was. At least that's how I felt when I first got it. That's interesting. Yeah. I feel like I I feel like I, I pay a lot more attention to the art in those where like, you know, because because there is you do have to do some thinking in that issue, mm-hmm. I think. Right. Because mm-hmm. because there is a couple like panel uh, uh, progressions where it's like you do have to sort of like decipher like, wait, what happened? Yeah. And go back and yeah. look at it real closer to see how it unfolded in that way. You're not 100 yeah. percent correct. But I felt like Storm Shadow was a mook in that in that uh, episode or that issue. That's so cool. That's so cool that you picked that one. I also almost picked one that was like five issues later, but it's not on my list. <laughs> okay, all right. no, <laughs> spectacular run though. Spectacular run. Yeah. Oh, it's a terrific run. Yeah. yeah. So this is Larry Hammond, like the original GI Joe run of comics at Marvel in the eighties, uh, with Larry Hammond in charge of them. Yes. Yep. And I looked up this issue did come out in nineteen eighty four. Oh wow! Who does the art on that one? He does. It's Larry Hammer as well. Oh, it's Larry Hammer too. Wow. Okay. He's writer and artist and cover artist. Nice. Yeah. And then Steve Leo, Leo Leo or Leo Leo Loa. Leo, yeah. Steve Leo Loa on inks. <laughs> nice. And George Russo on color. Very cool. Yeah, it's a great series. Great series to check out if you haven't. Also notable because like Larry Hammer was originally going to be working on a Shield book. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's yes. the story, right? Mm-hmm. What's the rest of that though? Because I forget like how it ended up not happening, and then he's like, "I'll we'll do GI Joe." Then. <laughs> well, I think Hasbro had other plans or whatever. They entered the talk, but that first issue, he had that as a Nick Fury book instead. So you have uh, uh, our classic characters, but switched around. I forget who played whom in that particular uh, situation, but he definitely mm-hmm. wanted to do a uh, a Fury book. I'm trying to think. Yeah, it was like unused shield ideas that he repurposed into Hasbro when they came at him about relaunching G.I. Joe toy line. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah, Fury was, I think, um, Hawk. That that would have been my guess. Yeah. Because the interesting thing is, at least from what I've read, and I've I I've read like a good chunk of the run, but it, it was one of the early things I, I collected, right? So I didn't have like the full run. I had like like issue here and there there was gaps in it okay but i don't remember duke being part of the book that much anywhere no mm. i think you're correct right i yeah. think you're correct so no good pick great okay. pick who's up next frank you want to go sure i'll go next so i chose for my favorite single issue secret origins annual number two okay <laughs> <laughs> this one is from let me see here uh, September of 88. Okay. And it's, it's an all flash issue. So it's mm. basically dealing with, uh, it's got two stories in it, Wally West story and then a, um, a Barry Allen story, right? So it's basically recounting both of their lives and how they get their powers. The, I, I like the Barry Allen story and I think it might be the first time where you get the idea of, um, the idea that Barry ends up becoming in the end of crisis becomes a lightning bolt that strikes him in the in the vat of chemical or the wall of chemicals right that allows him to become the flash i think that might be the first place we see that okay because in crisis he just sort of you know disperses and tachyons and then if i remember correctly he's just gone 
this says it, you know, it basically becomes a thing where he, he actually becomes that lightning bolt, which is cool. But I, I like the, the thing I like about this issue more than anything else is the Wally West story. It's called The Unforgiving Minute. Um, it's written by William Mesner Loves. And then it's got art by Mike Collins. And basically the story is um, Who's the writer? I think Sorry. I think it's William Mesner Loves. Let me check just real quick. I've never heard that name. No. <laughs> no. He wrote he wrote Wally for a while after um Mike Barron was the one to first write him after um after when, when Wally got his own book, it was Mike Barron and Jackson Geist wrote the first arc or two, maybe. And then after okay. and then after that, um Mesner Lobes is the one that takes over. So, yeah, he was a big name in the uh, point in the eighties. He also wrote like, there's a run of Wonder Woman that that has a lot of um uh, it, there's some good stories in there, but a lot of it's known. It's like one of the first times she's she takes on the Joker. There's a good arc with uh, it's Cheshire and Poison Ivy when she's powered in Artemis's Wonder Woman that he wrote also, I believe. But there's a lot of Ballin covers. Brian Ballin does a lot of those covers during that time. But um, yeah, it's William Ezra Loves, Mike Collins, and Frank McLaughlin on the inks. But basically, it's a story where Wally is um, in that run of books. Wally is fast. He's about 700 miles an hour, but he's not as fast as Barry. And it's him going to his um, going to therapy, trying to figure out why he can't get as fast as he was when he was Kid Flash, or even more so why he can't be as fast as Barry. And the unforgiving minute refers to um, if the poem by Rudyard Kipling, and I know Rudyard Kipling has you know become a more problematic figure as more and more of his you know ideas and the way he was came out. But in this instance, the, the poem works really well because there's the last part of it is is the the the, the psychiatrist talks to him about, you know, Wally feels kind of unworthy, like he's got imposter syndrome. And the doctor finally, you know, says to him, look, you know, he's like, I want you to write down, he's like, not like big crisis type things, but I want you to write down a number of the amount of people that you think you saved their lives. And, Raleigh, and Wally kind of works it out and he comes with a number and the number's like 172. <laughs> okay and the guy's like you know he's like i he's like i once talked a patient out of taking a bottle of pills and the, that that's that still gives me a warm glow inside and you can't forget you know you can't allow yourself to be happy with 172 <laughs> so it's kind of a moment of like you need to let yourself off the hook and you know and be okay with the fact that you you know you do what you can and that'll basically let you go with this mental block of being you know of being not being as good or being as good a flash as barry was right okay but the if in the poem, the, the part that they really talk about is like, if you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue or walk with kings, not lose the common touch, if neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you, but none too much, if you can fill the unforgiving minute, which is what the title of the story is, with 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it, and which is more, you'll be a man, my son, right? So, it's basically this idea of, it's also the other thing about it, it's, it's very much a product of its time because it's right after... Um, Invasion? No, not invasion. It's a right under the 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 Manhunter story, mm. where it's revealed that all these all these people in supporting cast of these of, of all the various superhero books are are Manhunters, right? And it's it's revealed that Wally's dad was a Manhunter, and all this time he was basically reporting back to the Manhunters about what Wally was doing. Uh, I see. Okay. Right, and Wally had no idea. So basically, he's lost Barry, when his his father figure, and he's actually lost his father during the during the crossover. So he's at a kind of like a, he's lost for what to do next. And it basically it's, it, it's, it's a moment where, you know, it launches him into being 
you know, being a better flash. And basically he gets his, he gets like, oh, you know, I'm not going to give it away, but eventually he gives its, his speed back and gets to be more than what he is. It's one of my favorite aspects of, of Wally. Uh, when, when you and I would talk about the character, the idea that, that he had a blockage that didn't allow him to be as fast as Barry. Mm-hmm. And then it was, you know, <laughs> well, I, I, I won't say it, but <laughs> yeah. 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 So I have a question. Is he in costume? No. For, the, for this? No. He's not in costume at all. No. <laughs> There's, That's I cool. Mean, it's typical. I mean, it's what, what I love. The other thing I love about it, I mean, it's Barry, like, you know, in, in, on a, like basically on a couch, you know, and he's in various spots, like, what what I like about it the most was, you know, at the time we had all this grim and gritty stuff coming out because of Watchmen and, and Dark Knight Returns. But it's one of those moments, like, again, for DC that I felt like it was a more adult moment without being like about violence or nudity or whatever. It was something where, much like with Buddy Baker, where you had Buddy Baker be wearing a jacket because he's like, I get cold and I need someplace to put my keys, right? This is another adult moment of a person who who can't get past something and is you know had, you know I mean when you think about tra- repeated trauma and superheroes, while he's sitting on a couch and talking about a problem that he can't get through by punching it or you know, running past it in super speed, you know it's a very adult moment, right? I mean it's something that that he's trying to work out on this couch so he can be a better superhero. Without the same time, he's very worried about replacing his mentor, right? Mm-hmm. And also is one of those things at the time where you know. It wasn't quite so. I don't remember. It might have been more of it, but I don't remember the backlash of Wally replacing Barry quite as much as like uh, Kyle Rayner trying to play, replace Hal Jordan, where people lost their right. mind and they were joining like right. Heat, <laughs> you know, or whatever that group was, that acronym group was at the time. But this is one of those things where, it, you know, Wally was very, it was, it was, it was a meta moment for, for fans too, where you're kind of like, if you'd grown up with Barry, you knew Barry Allen. It made, you know, people much more accepting of the fact that Wally, it seemed, was going to be the new Flash. Right. Like, if you grew up reading the Teen Titans, it's like you're graduating with Wally now. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah, because he, he comes out of crisis, you know, he's retired and he's had cancer and he's beaten it. And then you find out at the end of crisis, you know, spoiler for a book from 35 years ago, <laughs> you know, he beat- And a TV event from last year. <laughs> TV event from last year, right. <laughs> he beats cancer and he's in remission at the end of crisis. So, he decides to to be the Flash and then it goes into Legends and out of Legends, the miniseries, um, he gets, to, he, he becomes, he decides, you know, he gets his own book, right? So, yeah, I, I love this one. It's, it's one of my favorite of that era, especially of, of, of Wally stuff. It's one of my favorites and it's a great, it's a great, the other thing about, that I love about Secret Origins is, a lot of times they'll they'll tell retell the origin and they'll change something from modern times or they'll do it like they do here and they will just basically give you this um kind of panel by panel history of the character and I love those issues and this is a great one because you get to see Wally from like the time that he meets Barry and gets his powers to basically where he is in the his own book men so I think it's a really great issue Where'd you read it? Where, where can you find it? I guess, it's probably on DC Universe, I'm sure. It's on Comixology for sure. I don't know about DC Universe, okay. but it's definitely on Comixology. Under C- if you go to Secret Origins there, you can find it. Cool. Very cool. Good pick also. Thank you. Never read it, but it sounds cool. I want uh, to. Yeah, I want to check this one out. A, That's why I'm asking. It's a good one. <laughs> All right. Clifton, what's your number three? Uh, my number three is I was trying to think of something more recently because my go-tos are always older comics that I grew up on. And, and some of my answers later will be older comics that I grew up on. But I tried to just think of something in the past few years that I enjoyed a lot. 
And you can call me Zach for this one because I'm picking a Batman book. Oh. Oh. Ah. Wow. What wow. happened here? The, the I'm excited. Down. <laughs> but it's Batman Elmer Fudd ah. from 2017. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's, that's terrific. Also another one all, almost on my list. <laughs> it's a good one. It's, it's a, a great, great one. one. Yes. And, and this one was part of the DC event that they did crossing over their superhero characters with Warner Brothers cartoon characters. Mm-hmm. And other ones in the series we get are like Superman and Bugs Bunny and Martian, Martian Manhunter and Marvin the Martian right. and Lobo and Roadrunner. <laughs> right. Isn't there a Bugs Bunny Legion? Yes, there is. Legion <laughs> yeah. of Superheroes and Bugs Bunny. Right. Where he, it's, like, it's like the old Superboy being tested in the cover, mm-hmm. like from the 50s. But Bugs Bunny in a Superman suit. <laughs> Or Superboy suit, I should say. I think right. they did a Catwoman Sylvester. Yeah. Also, they they had they had like a second batch of these because I remember they did a Mark Russell did a Porky Pig Lex Luthor. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's a Superman. I think in the second batch is a Superman Top Cat. Oh, I don't remember that one. Oh no, I don't remember that either. That sounds <laughs> great. Tommy, too. have you seen that? No, you got to tell me yeah. more about that one, man. Yeah, I think they. I think it's Superman and Top Cat versus Amazo. I could be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> now you're just messing with me. No, no, oh, I'm serious. <laughs> You're just throwing all things Tommy loves together. Right, right. To tease him. Just right. cramming it in and like, ah. <laughs> like any one of these are good. They're, they're all done as standalone one-shot issues. Mm. So any one of these you can just pick up and, and just read on its own. Um, and, and in this one, it's, it's Batman Elmer Fudd, which is an odd, odd combination. <laughs> and it's written by Tom King, who is the, like, the prime Batman writer at the time. Yeah. And or one of them, because he also had like Snyder and stuff. But yeah. like he's definitely one of the, the top tier Batman writers in charge of the character Batman writing this book. And and you don't know what to expect. And then it's still a little different than you'd expect. And and I will say, like, it, it's the angle they go with is is doing the Looney Tunes characters that, you know, and love and recognize, but as people. Right, <laughs> right. So it's it's like a, like Bugs Bunny's like a like a low level criminal sort yep. of. <laughs> With big teeth, yeah, and 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 they and they play that up, so it's it's playing for like a film noir aspect, mm-hmm. yeah. where you would get those like kind of seedy looking characters, and so like it it makes sense that like Porky Pig's the bartender, yeah, <laughs> and it's it's like it's like almost a game, it's like almost a game reading it and like trying to find all of them mm-hmm. too, you know? right? Like like yeah. who's this weird looking person, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> but but on its own, like it's also a good noir detective plot right yeah where like there's a lot of ambiguity and you're not sure what's going on at first because the premise is that that elmer fudd is is looking for somebody who killed a woman Mm -hmm. and (laughs) and thinks it's bugs bunny and bugs bunny is like well like i killed a woman but there's more to it and i'll give you like there's a bigger thing out there for you and gives him the name bruce wayne (laughs) and says go look for bruce wayne because that's a bigger fish than me right more or less. And and that's just the setup for the book. And I don't want to give too much because there are like, it's a crime book. There's twists yeah. and turns and stuff. And they're good twists and turns. Yeah. It's a beautiful looking book too. Uh, Lee Weeks is so good. Yeah, it, yeah. Like it's a gorgeous book. Man, I wish, I wish Lee Weeks drew everything most days. I yeah. love Lee Weeks. He's such a good artist. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. This is, this is also one that like, I, I want them to animate this so badly because mm-hmm. <laughs> I would love to hear the Looney Tunes crew like the, like the regular looney tunes voices that they get for like all the current stuff right, like just bugs bunny's voice coming out of that guy yeah. Yeah. To, to be to play this version of them yes 
Yeah, no, that'd be magic if they could do that. Yeah, I mean, like, like the Bugs Bunny looks like a real Steve Buscemi type. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, like Steve Buscemi in a Cohen movie is, is say, how you can picture Bugs yeah. Bunny in this. That's funny. But no, so that was my, that's what yeah. I liked a lot of, of just the past few years. So it came out in 2017, uh, written by Tom King and then art by Lee Weeks. Yep. Very cool. And there is a quasi sequel to it that you may not have known about because, because I, I know you weren't reading Tom King's regular run. Mm-hmm. No, um, I was not. Right. Yeah. So, so much later, I mean, I couldn't tell you what issue is, but it's like, it's in the sixties, mm-hmm. like sixties or seventies. He does kind of a sequel to it with, with uh Batman and the Roadrunner. Uh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> makes it fit. It makes it fit okay. nicely. It's cool. Nice. nice. I'm shocked that in the first round, I've read two of these. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also, this never happens. We'll see how your streak keeps up. Yeah, right? yeah, indeed. Oh no, that's it. I'm sure that's it. It's yeah. over. It's over. Um, so, uh, so for my my first one, I'm gonna do um, Secret Six. Uh, I, I guess I should specify Secret Six Volume One because there's been a couple of versions. Mm-hmm. Uh, number fifteen, and this is um, written by John, uh, John Ostrander. Okay, and art by I'm gonna I'm gonna screw up the name, but uh, Jim Calafiori. That's it. You got it. Did I? Okay, yeah. nice. <laughs> Roll 2021. Um, and it's just like, it's a nice condensing of everything that you want to know about Deadshot. Like, it's his origin, mm. it's his family history, you know, personal tragedy, like all of that stuff. Like, it, like it, it, it kind of a quasi like retelling of his first issue a little bit too. Like, like in like his first appearance from the 40s. Right. Like in moments. Back when he looked like the Mr. Peanut character. Yep. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I love this issue. It's just, it's, it's such a cool story. And, um, I really love the art of of Gotham in there because it's such like, I mean, we see seedy Gotham a lot, but this one feels like lived in also at the same time, Mm -hmm. which is really cool. I really, really love uh, the look of this book. No, that's, that's, yeah, I remember that one. That's a good one. It's one of those, I think he writes, is it, is it during blackest night or right after blackest night? I think it's right after. Okay, because he does. I think I he does a couple wrong. during. He does the because um, they did those ex, extra issues of of books that were done, quote unquote, from dead dead books. Like right. Catwoman gets one, and Suicide Squad gets one, and I think he does either he and Gail writes it together, or he writes it. But he also was able to write after that with for Secret Six. Yeah, I I, I love Australian. I think Australian is a great writer. He doesn't get quite as much um, due as he should. But I remember this. No, one. he really doesn't. Does it touch on the miniseries at all? Um, in, I mean, if, if, if you didn't read the miniseries, you'd miss it. Okay. Completely. Like, like it, like it's kind of referenced in conversation. Okay. Here and there. I mean, the, the, the miniseries are referring to, I mean, God, what year was that? Like 88? Yeah. It's right around, it's right that, around that the first miniseries? year, second year of, of Suicide Squad when Ostrander was new with, um, Luke yeah. McDonald. Is it, it's a Father Kramer issue, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Father yeah. Kramer. For those who don't know, if you've ever read uh, Ostrander Suicide Squad, you absolutely should if you like Suicide Squad. Um, the only reason that we have movies or video games or animated anything is because of Ostrander's run on Suicide Squad. Um, so go to Comixology or wherever you, you know, I'm sure it's on, uh, was it DC Unlimited? DC so, Universe. DC Universe, DC Universe whatever. DC, DC Universe Infinite, possibly by now. Jeez. <laughs> okay. <laughs> look it up. Look it up. But it's, it's, it's worth, it's worth checking out. They're great books. If you like the suicide squad or good yeah. comics in general. Um, 
and it'll get you ready for the movie this year because James Gunn has cited it as his mm-hmm. his, inspir- his inspiration and main influence for his Suicide Squad movie. Yes, sir. Is Ostrander's run along with the main team and Amanda Waller? Ostrander, you know, fills out the the support staff at Bell Rev, and uh, Father Kramer is the is the priest there that the the in, you know the, the the super villains can talk to after mission or before mission if they want to. And Father Kramer is the character he brings back for these issues. So, really yep. good stuff. Yeah. Great. Awesome cover, too. I never did find out who did the cover, but I mean, like, like, I mean, if if you've seen a pinup of Deadshot, chances are it's this cover. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's oh, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Fun issue. Yeah, no, I like I like that one a whole lot. But I like also glad I was also glad that he brought back that character because, you know, sometimes supporting cast characters don't make it out of the books they were in. Mm hmm. They're only yeah. they're only in that book for a short time or whatever. You know, not, there's not everyone's Jimmy Olsen Lois. So, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, like going into Suicide Squad for a second. I mean, it is interesting that it's it's its own cast. It's not it's not a supporting cast made up of the supporting cast or people related to the characters in the book, mm-hmm. right? Like it's got like its own thing, right? It's right. it's not it's not like Captain Boomerang's uh, <laughs> people connected to him. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Yeah. No, you're right. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Secret Six is definitely like like the you know the 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 uh, a worthy follow up to Suicide Squad, Ostrander Suicide Squad. I would say they they're, they they um, flex some of the same muscles. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. So all right, but I'm curious to see what Tommy's second pick is now because I want to know if I've read it also. <laughs> uh, I, I, th- I think you have. I mean, it it's a throwaway. Um, Frank has mentioned it before, um, at least to me, if nobody else. Mm-hmm. I was going to bring up Spider-Man versus Wolverine number one. Oh, it's a good one. Yeah, uh, it's oh, a one. Okay. Did you did you read that, Zach? I don't think I ever had this one as a kid. I, I remember, like, my older brother, my cousin might have had it, but I don't know that I actually read this. Ironically enough, my older brother is how I came into contact with this, <laughs> because I was strictly a, um X-Men person at that uh-huh. time. And this is probably the most mature Marvel comic I've ever read at that particular time. <laughs> in which, sure. looking back at it, it's it's heavy as far <laughs> as what it introduces and stuff. I mean, so much death. I mean, I almost thought I was reading the Punisher comic book. What was introduced in this? <laughs> I mean, and then you guys laugh because I'm all into death and stuff. But <laughs> but no. what's crazy about this one, this has major changes within Spidey's universe. Yeah. And it's brought in and out with the great um, guest star with Wolverine. And a lot changes with Spidey's world with just this one issue. And it's not like it was heavily advertised. No. I thought it'd be just some glorified, um, you know, team up issue. Mm-hmm. But the ramifications to the character, I think, are just being felt now that's is what i'm hearing yeah it's it's only been it's only been something that they i mean at the time it just sort of happened and you're sort of stunned and shocked that it happens and then it's not dealt with again like you said till recently i, I know there's um i want to say i know it's dan slot when dan slot was still on amazing and then, and i want to say it's marcos martin was the issue was the artist on it mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. where they start where, where it's it's talked about what was one of the things where, like, when Bendis took over New Avengers, I had, I was hoping and praying that since you had Spider Man and Wolverine on the same team, they were gonna have a conversation about what happens there in Germany, but they yeah. don't. They do <laughs> not. 
No, <laughs> not that I know of. I could be wrong, yeah. but I never saw it. So, what's the setup of the book, though? Basically, it starts off with um, Spidey doing the Spidey thing, Black costume Spidey, the one I like the most, um, mm-hmm. in which he fails to say, or he comes across the dead bodies of a mom and pop shop. Mm-hmm. Um, come to find out, they were former KGB, and Ned Leeds has a, a an idea of who it is. And he has a he and he wants to take a photographer out to Germany to go investigate if that's really the person that's behind this. So of course Peter gets picked, and at the time Peter is, is grieved over is grieving over many deaths that happened within his um. There's this he's not able to save the lives that were lost in his area, so he's like in a way tired of being Spider-Man in that grief, and he thinks that this little excursion would um take his mind off it so he leaves his costume behind so he doesn't think he needs to be spider-man for this and what eventually happens is he's more embroiled with it than he ever was because of an incident that occurs there and he comes across wolverine who has direct ties with the killer of the kgb um agents that were killed in his borough i mean i could go into more detail Hmm. yeah don't spoil it it's a great yeah but it's a it's a strong one it's a very strong and that was its own book or that or that was like a marvel comics presents or something it's or? a standalone one shot spider-man versus wolverine okay. or spider-man yeah. Yeah, spider-man versus wolverine tommy you wrote that christopher priest yes he did well yeah he was jim he was still jim owsley <laughs> at that point but yes christopher priest wrote that yeah yeah huh i never knew has that. a good has a pretty good wolverine fight at the end oh a terrific wolverine fight big <laughs> yeah they they legitimately hit a stalemate in a way that you would accept yes but Oh, uh, what's, okay. what's interesting is one of the few stories you get Peter who doesn't pull his punches because he knows the foe he's up against. Yeah. Yeah. There's a part where he's like, he's pounding Wolverine in the face and talks about how Wolverine won't stop smiling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a great moment. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, it's good. It's very good. Yeah. I, I would rather, you know, I would rather if you have not read it to please pick it up and enjoy it. It's a great one. And it's yeah. one of those, it's one of the first places I noticed. Um, well, again, Jim Alsey, but he's also Christopher Priest. So. No, that one sounds cool. I got to check that one out too. Yeah, it's oh, a good you didn't one. read so, that. I was hoping it's not to add a lost column. I uh, know. Well, no, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, his average is still pretty good. Yeah, we could still maybe make it up. We'll okay, see. cool, cool, cool. We'll, we'll see what Frank goes with. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. There's no chance. There's no chance of <laughs> this one. <laughs> you might. We'll you see. might. You might. You might, rabbit. You might. You might, rabbit. You might. <laughs> All right. So, my second pick is Sandman number twenty. All right. Okay. Yeah, no chance. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it, it's um it's it's titled Facade and it's by Neil Gaiman with art by Colleen Noren. Um uh the basic premise is is that uh Urania Blackwell is 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 the character that they talk about and she wants to die. She's basically she's element girl. She's um she's a female metamorpho, basically. And she wants to die and she can't figure out a way to do it. And she's kind of like, at one point, her origin, basically, she has a similar origin metamorpho. She goes and finds the Orb of Ra in Egypt. She gets transformed into Element Girl. She goes on adventures with Metamorpho back in like the late 60s. And then, you know, the, she sort of gets pushed aside. The, the, she was an agent, kind of like an agent for the US government, but they don't really have any use for her anymore. And she just sort of lives in her apartment and talks to her handler. But she doesn't do anything. She's just stuck there in the spot. And then she receives a call from an old friend and they go to meet. And in order for her to pass as human, she has to basically make it so her, her face is more human in appearance because she looks like metamorpho, but female. 
So she basically, there's like this great transformation scene where she's changing uh, the chemicals in her hair to look, to make her hair look like she used before. And then she creates a mask of her face out of elements so she can pass, right? Well, she goes to this, she goes to her friend and her friend is very much, um, you know, a normal person. She doesn't have superpowers. She's not an agent or anything. And they begin to talk. And in the midst of this, of her trying to reconnect with this person, the mask that she has slips and falls into her meal. And then she runs away you know, almost in terror of the fact, because the woman has no idea that she's element girl, that she's ever had this happen, that she's, you know, that she's changed in this way. And in the end, she's just, she's giving in to despair, right? She's like, again, she just wants to die. And then she's visited by death. Um, you know, the Sandman character from, from those, from those books. And I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but if you've never read it, it's one of those things where, you know, a lot of those eighties books, People like Grant Morrison or Neil Gaiman would take a character that you might have an idea, like like a Buana Beast or, in this case, mm. an Element Girl, and they would just spin this story that was amazing about a character. You're like, it's not Batman, it's not Superman. It's, not right. even Swan- it's you know, it's just a character. It's not even a character you've really ever heard of. You just sort of seen him on a cover someplace, and they managed to evoke you know this emotion, and they managed to get this incredible story out of it, even if for just an issue, right? Right. Yeah. You know, they, yeah, they take a character that, that like even DC doesn't care about. It's right. Like, yeah. Right. Yeah, do what you want. Like, right. right. And <laughs> yeah. they, they managed to create a, you know, a fair amount of pathos and, and, and you know, and, and feeling for this character that, you know, again, DC never would, you know, they, DC, she was in limbo forever. Right. And I don't think right. she makes another appearance again in, in DC continuity until um, New 52 during, during Jeff John's run of uh, New 52. They introduce a new Doom Patrol, and I think she's part of that Doom Patrol at one point. Okay, but yeah, it's a great issue if you've never read it. It it, it, it gets me every time. I love that issue, and it's one of those things where people, you know, kind of wonder, like, or debate about Sandman being is it DC continuity, right. or is it this completely standalone thing? And that's one of the ones you point to, and they're like, no, like it's it's got continuity right. to it because like she legitimately was a character that was introduced in the early Metamorpho comics in the sixties. That, that he brought out and dusted off. Yeah. Well, it's one of those things where, I mean, a lot of times when people talk about Vertigo and all those, those early, you know, those books, I think people seem to forget like Swamp Thing was the same way where Swamp Thing was really rooted heavily in, in DC continuity and DC right, characters. It shows up in crisis. Right. Yeah. There's a great issue where they're on the, the monitors uh, satellite where they're looking at all these yeah. characters from DC. But I mean, early Sandman had a ton of, you know, of, of, I mean, Dr. Destiny appears, the, the old JLA villain appears in the first like four or five issues. Right. You know, it's one of those things where Neil took, you know, a lot of those characters and, and like you said, dusted them off and put them in. And this is another one within the first two years, you know. Um, but though, like McKean, Dave McKean was on those covers. I, there's another, one of my favorite covers from the entire run is, I believe, um, Scott Free, Mr. Miracle mm. and all these locks and chains on the cover. But this one I love, just I, I love the, the, the Dave McKean cover with Facade for uh, Element Girl in this issue in particular. Yeah, I gotta. I've. I. You can revoke my my geek card here. I've never read any Sandman. Okay, you'd like it. <laughs> None it's of re- it. It's really. I mean, it, again, it's one of those things where you would. I think you would. You'd like it more than you know. Whether whatever your reluctance is, there's a lot more to it. Like I said, that ties into the DCU for a while. When it goes full Vertigo, they sort of lean away from it and then don't really pick up more DC stuff until the end. But right early on, they, there's a lot. Well, that's the thing that. That surprised me that when you told me like, like, no, it's like, it's in DC continuity. And it always struck me. Like, I always imagined that it was sort of like a standalone book thing, mm-hmm. like, like kind of its own universe. And and I was like, what? Like well, it's in, 
Yeah. DC universe proper. You know, I, I don't, I don't know why I never read it. It's right. just like, I've never been opposed to it. It's just mm-hmm. like, like I just haven't found it, you know, like, <laughs> well, I mean the basic, I mean the basic breakdown of the story is, is that there's a, you know, there's an Alistair Crowley type, um, type guy you who know, is rich who basically figures that he wants to live forever. And the way that he's going to do it is he's going to trap death you know, one of the endless and he makes a mistake and captures Morpheus, the, the, the Sandman dream right? by mistake and keeps him in this basement. Well, and I, and I think I was explaining this to Tommy a, a week or so ago, the idea that in doing so, like the world has to fill the vacuum, right? So, he's in this basement and trapped for like 60 or 70 years. And while that happens, you have like Wesley Dodds fill that mm-hmm. space in the universe because he's the Sandman, right? So he's a Sandman for a while, and then after the, he, you know, he retires with the, the JSA, go away. In the fifties, um, you have uh, you know, the universe tries to reassert itself again, and you have the Kirby Sandman, the red and gold Sandman from the seventies, right? Okay. When Kirby right. tried to dust that property off and put that back out, so it, it's what what I, you know again. Neil weaves all this stuff around it to say that no, there was there were other Sandmen, but they weren't the same thing as Morpheus, the, the god of dreams, right? So that's cool. Zach, don't yeah. feel bad. I, I'm with you. I, <laughs> I I was I was deterred from it as well. It just it's like it's like looking at Sandman and there was no prominent capes. You get the <laughs> feeling that it wasn't part of the DC universe, especially with the covers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and then and then on to top it off, everyone that read it was a girl. Yeah. <laughs> it was like <laughs> nobody I knew read it. Right, Not to right. say that. It just, I, I just felt like it just wasn't my type of comics. Well, not initially. I think initially it was, it was your more typical at the time, what you would think of as your comic book store mm-hmm. clientele. Yeah. And then it, and then, but it was open to everybody. So it was notable <laughs> that yeah. women were reading right. it too. Right. I mean, I mean, Martian Manhunter is in, is in Sandman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's one of the like, Martian Manhunter, Dr. Destiny, Scott Free's in it, like Mr. Miracle, um, Superman's in it, Batman's in it. Um, you know, like I said, there's a fair amount of, of characters that you know. It's just, you know, like I said, and then like I said, there's a lot of obscure characters like this too. It's the same thing with like at the same time you had, you know, Animal Man was out that was the same time with Grant Morrison. And, you know, at one point, you know, before it was a Vertigo book, Hellblazer was a was a was a was technically a DC book. And right. Swamp Thing was where's where it all starts because Swamp Thing was, you know, for a while that book too is is strictly you know, it's it's got its its um, origins within the DC universe, right? So cool. No, but you can read it this year if you want to get ready for the upcoming Netflix show, right? Yeah, right. Because it's our true. friend Devon said, wrote in to mention that he was surprised <laughs> we didn't say we were looking forward to that show, right. and I told him, oh, it's because I forgot it was coming, right. or I would have said I was looking forward to that show and are looking forward to 2021 episode. Yeah. yeah. So that one is coming from Netflix. And I'm excited about it. D- didn't know it was filming on my end. Like, like you know, I knew it was coming. I, I didn't know it had started. <laughs> like, I thought they were still writing it, but no. Nah. Yeah, no, I think they started. That's cool. Uh, well, Netflix has a great way of hiding stuff as far as they don't announce it till they want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, come they, watch they, it. They are mm-hmm. quiet on, on stuff until, until it's like, it's out tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. <laughs> All of it. So, so what's your number two, Clifton? So my number two is going back and going to spin off a little bit from Tommy's because mm. it's a Wolverine comic. Wow. Ooh. 
not said in Germany, but said in Poland. Okay. <laughs> okay. And it is Wolverine number 32 mm-hmm. from 2005. Ah. Oh, I think I know this one. It's a good one. Titled Prisoner Number Zero mm-hmm. by Mark Miller with oh. art by Kari Andrews. Okay. Right. And then the colors are uh, Jose Villarubia and letters on this one are Randy Gentile. Ah, okay. And it is a, it's, it's a done, one and done story. It's, it seems like it's not connected to any of the other issues, particularly in, in Mark Miller's run leading up to this. This was his final issue on his run of Wolverine at that time. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it is a good one. It is a good one to, to go off on, uh, to leave the book on. And it's uh, just a, just a one shot kind of story where you don't need to know anything other than who is Wolverine, which mm-hmm. everybody now knows from right. pop culture. So anybody, if you know who Wolverine is, you can read this issue. And, and it plays into the aspects of Wolverine that we've seen in, you know, movies, comics since where like, he was alive through a lot of history because his, you know, his, his power just keeps him alive and, and going. And this one is set in, Poland in 1942 Mm -hmm. and he shows up we first see him in a concentration camp Mm -hmm. and we don't get really much explanation about why he's there. Most of this story is actually written by perspective or seemingly by perspective of the, the concentration camp guards, the, like the commandant in charge of the the prison camp in, in general. And Wolverine has no lines in this book. Okay. And, and it's, and it's done from this point of view where it's, it's, you're not in Wolverine's point of view. You're in the point of view of somebody who doesn't know who this person is or what they are or what they're capable of. And so when he first shows up in the camp, he appears to be a, you know, a defiant prisoner. And so of course they shoot him in the head Mm -hmm. and think they're done with him. And this was at a time when he wouldn't have had his adamantium skeleton yet. So he was a little more vulnerable. Right. And like bullets just didn't bounce off of him. They'd keep him down for a little bit. So that is why they think he's dead. But of course he's not. And he comes back. And then what would happen if you shot somebody in the head and then they come back later? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you freak out. And, and that's the angle of this book is, is that they play with that. So they try it again and it doesn't take this time either. <laughs> right. So it's basically told from the perspective of, of these people being tortured by what they think possibly is a ghost or something. They don't know what's going on, but it's told very much like a ghost story. And, and, and it's done very, very well. Um, it's, it's probably one of the best issues Mark Miller did of Wolverine, mm. I think. And an art by Kari Andrews is fantastic, especially with uh, the colors of Jose Villarubia, oh, who's sure. a phenomenal color artist. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, it's a great book. Great, great book. I, I'm, it's been a while since I'm, since I've read it. Is there some kind of like dedication to, to Will Eisner in that book? Am I remembering this correctly? Yes. Uh, I just had to reference the book and at the end, at the very end of the book in the, the last page, there is a, a note in the final page splash panel that says for Will with much affection. Uh, okay. So I believe it was, uh, inspired and drawn from an idea from the great Will Eisner. No, that's really cool. Yeah, I, I seem to remember a little 
story. I can't remember where I've read it. It might have been in a wizard or something like that, where it was when Mark Millar like met Will Eisner. Mm, and okay. that was back in like in his young days and where he was like, you know, hanging out at bars and going out drinking and stuff like that. And uh, it may have been at a convention that I can't remember, but he had like a bunch of buddies that were like they were going out and he's like, he's like, no, I'm going to. I'm good here. Like, like I got Will Eisner here. Like I'm going <laughs> to, you know, I'm going to pick his brain for, for hours and hours and hours. And it, like, it, it just got like this cool sense that he was just like in awe of him right. you know, a little bit, which, cause of course it's Will Eisner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good book. Good, good book. Loosely referenced a little bit, sort of, sort of in, in the Wolverine, right? The yes. second one, that's yeah. the one in Japan, right? That's the one that starts out yeah. in world war two. Right. I, it's a mix of that one, and it's also a mix of uh, was it Wolverine nineteen something? There's a there's an Eduardo Rizzo and uh, Brian K. Vaughn. It's like a two or three issue mini mm-hmm. where Wolverine. It's around the same time where Wolverine and you know I think the stuff with the atomic bomb. So it's got to be uh, forty two. So it's got to be around the same time, but it's the same kind of premise. But I think he's in a Japanese internment camp or in a, mm, in a Japanese right, right, yeah. But yeah, it's 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 a good one too. But they're both it's it, they borrow from both of those. Yeah. So, all right. So for mine, uh, I tried guys, I tried really, really hard mm. <laughs> <laughs> to, to have no Batman stories on this list, but you, you know, I started feeling like I was cheating. Right. So <laughs> I was cheating on the character. So I had to put it on. So this is a Batman and a Joker issue, but I think I found like a really good Joker <laughs> issue that, that is not talked about ever. Okay. Right. So it's not five way revenge. It's not anything like that. So this is Batman Gotham Adventures number 31. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's called Chaos at the Hands of the Joker. So this is in the animated universe. This is like in the Red Sky um, uh, era. Like that's the art style. So it came out like 98, but this is 31. So this this might have been like, I don't know the exact year, like 2000, 2001. Um, and so the setup here is. It's a blackout issue. So Joker gets like like an EMP from from a group of scientists and sets it off in Gotham where he's like he's saying like it's going to be like a blackout. It's going to make everybody freak out, but it's going to be worse because it's going to kill everything. So your phones and your radios and everything's not going to work. Right. So mm-hmm. this is before cell phones, but it actually like the story actually like still kind of works <laughs> right. right in this way. So. Basically, the city's plunged into chaos with looting and everything like that. And uh, Joker's loving it, right? Like people are right. afraid, people are paranoid. They don't know what's going on. Um, and so, but because because like the radios are out, like they're not getting any news. So people are like they're they're speculating. They're like, is it the Russians? Is it the mob? Like what's going on? So so the cool thing is that Joker loves the chaos that he's created, but at the same time he wants credit for it, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And so it's just like, it, it's just like a, like a, a perfect Joker story in 22 pages. You know, mm-hmm. Has anybody read this one? No, I can't say. No, I've not. Oh yeah, I've read it. Okay. It's been a while, but I've read it. Yeah. So it's, it's written by Ty Templeton. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a very, in my opinion, very, very underrated Batman writer who doesn't get talked about really. I mean, he did a lot of these adventure books and just so many of them are so good. Yeah, Ty Temple's run on that book is really good. Yeah. And Terry Beatty on art. But but what what's cool about it too is that so it's it's an all ages book, so Joker doesn't kill anybody, right? 
obviously it's an right. all ages book, but what I like about it is there is a nod, like there's an explanation for why he doesn't kill anybody. And, and it's, it's for eagle eyed, like readers and watchers of the show. Like there's a reason for it. And it's, it's tied to the holiday nights episode. We're in that, where he's doing the, the new year's get um, the new year's scheme. And he's saying, you know, for my new year's resolution, I'm not going to kill anybody for a whole year. So that takes place like in that year where he's trying to not do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's cool. And it's also like, and you get like a really cool, like hopeful Batman scene. That's not unlike, you know, the, the feeling you get like in the Nolan movies, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. It's, the temple just runs really good. You know, I think they've only done Devil's Run in the Digest um, reprints. I mean, I'm sure you probably find them online, but I don't think they did ever ever did like a fully sized um, reprint of those books, and they should because they're really really good. Especially with yeah. the fact that isn't um, isn't Templeton on the the Batman Adventures, the continuing Batman Adventures right now? Yeah, the current one. Yeah, I think he is. Yeah, so that stuff's good yeah. too. But I don't know that this one ever got traded. I don't think it did, but it's on DC Universe. That's where I you know, went back and read it, but you know, I mean, the, the, you can find these books at cons. I'm I'm sure pretty, pretty easily mm-hmm. whenever those happen again, right? <laughs> you know, so, all right. So we're going to go around and do our number one, but first, however you find the show listeners, please don't forget to like subscribe and leave us a review. And if there's anything you would like to hear Clifton, Tommy, Frank, and myself cover, be sure to leave a topic suggestion in the comment section. All right. So now our number one pick, Tommy, what's your number one? My number one, eh? I went away with story, the straight nostalgia. When I first got this book, I loved it incessantly. I didn't know it was a gateway drug to anime. Uh oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> manga. It's going to be good. Uh, oh my gosh. I, and it was subtle too because I just loved it. But the more I talked about it, it, it made people like, oh, he's just drawn like this or he's just drawn like that. But at the time, I loved X Men, mm-hmm. and I didn't know what annuals were, so I picked up X Men Annual Volume One, Number Ten. I read this book probably a hundred times because I love the <laughs> art. It's probably the first appearance of the X Babies. Uh, oh yeah, I have this one. <laughs> so it's not and, on my list. I just own the comic and love it. And it's also the first appearance in the X Men universe of Longshot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and how okay. he's introduced to their fold, and the story is so simple. It oh, I, I I loved how it was. I loved how the detail it came, the colors. It made it really made the X Men feel like a school because it included the New Mutants, and you rarely get interaction between the two. It was a time where Magneto was on the um, part of the X Men. I mean, it had everything going for. It. I still to this day love that book. It made mm-hmm. me re- look at everything Arthur Adams drew. It was my first introduction to Arthur Adams. Ah, it's a good introduction. Yes, yeah. yes. But yeah. Yeah, and also the New Mutants, because after that I I picked up everything New Mutant related as well. I want to stick on on Arthur Adams for a second because he's like such he's like so known for the X Men. Mm-hmm. You know, which I think is so cool, but yet his his like his time on the characters is so small, right? Oh, like it's, it's a such minuscule. a small sample size, but I mean his work is so great on it. Yeah, yeah. You got a couple of annuals. You got the New Mutant special, the one where they go to Asgard. Yes. Yeah, and then you get the next one is that what is it? Does he draws the one too, or that where Storm gets the gets the version of Mjolnir? Oh yeah, Stormbreaker. That's what she gets. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Yeah. That's great. It's a real, that, <laughs> yeah. I love that annual. That's what, that's what I thought you were talking about for a minute when you said that. I was like, well, no, it's not an X-Men. It's no, an immune book. Mm-hmm. But I didn't, I didn't know that one because that one was a two-parter. I mm-hmm. went back and got that one because it starts with New Mutant Special. And right. then it leaves on a cliffhanger and yes. ends on X-Men 9, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think you're right. Annual yeah. number 9. Yeah. Yeah I, think, yeah, I think you're right. But no. It, it, the designs, this the whole thing with X babies. I, I love the introduction of Mojo and Spiral. Yeah. Oh, all, all, all of it, top to bottom. It, it was it's magical. <laughs> I would love for them to animate that because <laughs> it, it it's it's a typical crazy situation that the X Men get into. But what's funny is it's none of their fault. All it is is them inviting um Betsy, and mm-hmm. and Mojo sees it through her eyes. Right. And you don't even know that because unless you're reading Captain Britain, mm-hmm. you wouldn't have known that that correlation between the two. Right. Well, I think but, they, there's a new mutants. I want not to not to not to correct you, but <laughs> there's a <laughs> not to be that guy. But there's a new they introduce they do that in in Great Britain because that's where um, what's his name uh, their brother Brian. Yeah. Not Brian. No, uh, Jamie. Jamie. Uh, Jamie. Jamie Braddock. Thank you. Is the one that does it to basically, you know, makes her blinds her in the in that book in that run, and then she gets the bionic eyes in New Mutants, the annual. That's her first American appearance is in New, in New Mutants Annual Number Two, with mm-hmm. it, like because it's got the great. I remember this because it's got the great Alan Davis art. Yes. So therefore, she gets it. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's good stuff too. <laughs> oh, you're right. You're right, Alan. Yeah, previously, I no, I take that back. I completely yeah. forgot about that. Yeah, because that's where she's introduced into American comics. Yeah. She gets her new bionic eyes there for Mojo. You know, Mojo is the one that puts the eyes in her so he can also look and see what she, what everyone's doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Since his universe is based on ratings. And yeah, his ratings were dipping. That's what he threw long shot into them. And the whatever sphere that he came in, it's, it put goop on everybody. And when they went to go analyze it, it disappeared. But the goop made up all the X-Men regress to, the, to a childlike state. Mm-hmm. And which he could uh, even film more of what they're doing. Yeah, 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 I love that book. Good book. Mojo was making Big Brother before anyone thought of the show. Yeah, Big exactly. Brother. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. From another dimension. That's that's his gimmick. It's a weird. He's a weird X Men villain, but that's his gimmick. Reality TV show producer from another dimension. Yes, in the eighties. Who would have thought of yes. that? <laughs> yeah. Yes, he was Mark Burnett before Mark Burnett. <laughs> yes, it would make an awesome movie. He would. It still it would. would. <laughs> like long, long shot in Mojo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they would. We'll get it at some point. I guarantee we will. Yeah, I have to start over. Oh, I'm I'm not too old to not enjoy it. That's a lot. Like right. a like a self aware action movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's like about action movies. Yes. Yeah. No, that sounds awesome. I think I, they're probably were capitalizing off the 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 popularity of Muppet Babies too. But eh, I was fine with that. <laughs> oh, I love right. Muppet Babies. Yes, got a spotlight Muppet Babies one day. Yeah. See, everything is in that book. I'm telling yeah. you. Yeah. No, yes. it, it, it sounds it sounds packed. <laughs> Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. Okay, Frank. Number one. So my number one is, and this is one of those things where I thought about it for a while. My number one is Amazing Spider-Man number two fifty one. Okay. <laughs> Help me out. All right. So <laughs> two thirty eight. You have the introduction of the Hobgoblin, right? And there's this mystery mm-hmm. in Roger Stern's run of like you know for for almost a year up through two fifty. The idea of who is the Hobgoblin and what's his deal. Well, you find out, you know, the Hobgoblin is, is doing stuff and he's going around to these various warehouses or um, stash houses that 
Norman Osborn had, right? When he was, when he was, because at this point, Norman's still dead. Norman hasn't been brought back four times or anything at Marvel. He's been <laughs> gone forever and no one really knows who the Hobgoblin is, but he's been going around and finding these journals of all this stuff, this information about how to make weaponry and the, and the, and the goblin, um, goblin formula or goblin elixir, the stuff that gives him, like, gave him super strength, but also made him crazy. So he's been going around and finding Spider-Man's been trying to stop him, right? So this is like the culmination. There's a point where the Hobgoblin also gasps Peter, so is, is Spider-Man. So he doesn't have, like, for a couple issues, he doesn't have a spider sense. So that's why the other reason why the Hobgoblin's got this edge on him. And he has, doesn't have the ability to use it. Well, 250 ends with the, them fighting in his warehouse. Spider-Man's trying to stop him getting the last bit of these journals. There's a huge fire that picks up in 251. The fire catches on the journals, and then Hobgoblin didn't have a chance to make any more, any um, copies. So any of the information that he was going to glean from from Norman is gone, and he's really pissed off at Spider-Man. So he jumps in this battle van that Norman had built and tries to run him over, and Spider-Man manages to grab underneath. So then they're hurtling through the streets of New York at like 90 miles an hour, and you know <laughs> nothing can stop this battle van. But there's a moment where Peter manages, you know, from to get from the bottom to the front, and he's hanging on the front of this, you know, this this battle van that's going like, I don't know, almost close to 100 miles an hour, right? And he's just pounding away at, at this thing, and 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 it's it's a nice panel setup. The artist by Klaus Jansen and Ron Friends, which may sound like an odd combo, but you're going from Roger Stern and, and Klaus Jansen doing the art on Spider-Man to Ron Friends and Tom DeFalco starting their arc on this book, and it's a nice, you know, three or four panels of Spider-Man just pounding away. You know, and the Hobgoblin being like, you know, you're wasting your time. You know, it would take a concussive blast. You'd need this mortar shell to even break it. And it pulls back and you can see that Spider-Man's about to break through. And that's, you know, it's one of the few times like Peter's not holding back. And it shows how, you know, you know, we get we get a lot of like how sp strong Spider-Man is or whatever, but it's never really, dis I think it's a really nice display of his powers. Mm -hmm. So then the Hobgoblin runs him through, runs through a building and thinks again that he's killed Peter and he keeps going, right? Well, Peter's managed to get to the top of the thing. He he manages to tear off this turret and pop inside. And they have over three or four pages. They have a pretty good fight within the confines. It's it, it has a really good the way it's drawn and put together and laid out. It's got a really good feeling of like of being, um, you know, it makes you feel like you're in that midst of like there's not a lot of wiggle room in this van, right? And it's, it's pre-programmed, so it's driving along and they're fighting, and they end up hurtling toward um, the river, and then they crash into the Hudson. And they're still fighting in the midst of this water is like pouring in, rushing into this battle, man. They're fighting each other. And, and, and it, it's one of the things where the, like Peter realizes like the Hobgoblin's not going to, you know, he's, he's punched him. He's not going to get up. But the battle van's going to explode because water's getting into all the circuitry, right? So the Hobgoblin's, you know, he tries to save the Hobgoblin. The Hobgoblin comes to and he's like, I'm not having this. And blast the, it ends up blasting him and missing because Peter's got, oh. And then the other thing is in the midst of this fight, his spider sense comes back. <laughs> So they, he tries to shoot him. Spider-Man jumps out of the way. The van explodes. Um, it's got this great bit where the police are, are, are going to see what this explosion is about. And he borrows a flashlight and goes down. And all he sees is the mask of the hobgoblin floating in the river, right? Okay. And this is like a year of, of mystery. Like it's one, I think it's <laughs> honestly one of the first times in comics where I was like really into like who the mystery of this character was. Like I'd read the Marvel tales. So I like knew when they were trying to do the same thing with Norman that we didn't really know who the Green Goblin was for a long time. Yeah. And for Roger Stern to try to do that again with Hobgoblin, it really does work well. So then, so then he's gone. You think, you know, you know, you think it's, it's, there's no body, but there's just the mask. So you think, okay, well, he's gone. The other thing about this story with the Hobgoblin was, is that with these journals, you have this moment where he can, he basically is blackmailing people 
for that are in Norman's journals because Norman was a you know was a business type guy he was a business tycoon, and one of the things that he has in these journals is he has the the information that Jonah, J. Jonah Jameson funded um, funded like the Scorpion to be created and funded like the Spider Slayers. So basically, Jonah would be on the he's going to blackmail Jonah and basically tell all these people that he did this. Well, Jonah you know, beats him to the punch and Spider-Man comes to tell him, hey, look, I took care of the Hobgoblin. I, you know, he's not going to be a problem anymore. And Jonah's like, well, I've already decided to write the story. It's in tomorrow's paper that I created the Scorpion, <laughs> you know, that I had a hand in it, that I basically right. funded it because I hated you so much, right? <laughs> and resigns. And that's the other thing is, is it's one of the first times that Jonah just walks away from the paper and puts Robbie in charge. That sounds awesome. Then, if that's yeah. not enough, this is your epilogue bit. Ready? So Peter, oh and, I can't and, believe this is all one issue. And, and uh, Harry go to lunch, and it's basically a chance for these two old friends. Guys have been friends forever to talk about, you know, about the Hobgoblin and his father's legacy. And Harry's like, "How am I?" You know, it's long before, you know, Harry's been the Goblin once, but it's not mm-hmm. like it ends up when Demetrius does it. It's, does the 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 great run with Harry being the Goblin in two like around the two hundred issue. So they're talking, and they have this moment at the end. And, you know, basically he's like, you know, he's how about, how am I going to live with, you know, my father's legacy? He's like, no, Peter's like, you're going to do the right thing because you're not your dad. Right. Mm-hmm. And as a reader, you feel like, oh, that's great. They had this nice moment. And then all of a sudden, like Peter's spider sense goes crazy. Right. And he's like, well, I don't understand what's going on. He goes, you know, goes behind a tree in Central Park. He puts on his costume. He starts swinging and he gets to the cent- little Central Park and there's this giant structure in the middle of it. And he doesn't know what it is. And then he swings into it, and then Secret Wars happens. <laughs> oh wow! <Yeah>. Okay, huh. <laughs> so that's where Holy that's crap. where that's why one of the reasons why I love this issue is because it leads into the next issue is like the, the first appearance of the Black Costume. Good grief! Yeah, man, that's they all used one to issue. pack story into these books back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one issue. Like that's the one. Like that's that's the one. crazy. Yeah, after two fifty, it's a great. I mean, two, that whole run, all of Roger Stern again. Roger Stern, we're talking about writers that like Ostrander and. Um, People that don't get their due, like uh, yeah. Roger Stern for me on Spider-Man is just, it's, it's such good stuff. If you've never read that stuff, um, he also did a story about um, Spider-Man versus the Juggernaut, Juggernaut called Nothing Can Stop the Juggernaut, which is really good. Yeah. Um, Classic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This one's yeah. really great. I love all good the stuff. Hobgoblin stuff. Um, the funny side note about it is that uh, when Roger Stern left the book, he told Tom DeFalco, the writer that was taking over, that he, who, his, who the Goblin was supposed to be. And Tom DeFalco thought it was a stupid idea and didn't use it. <laughs> so, all of the stuff that was, you know, all the stuff that's left over, you know, because all the setup for it within the year, it doesn't jive quite right. And it does lead into um, Spider-Man versus Wolverine. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So, it, it's, it's, a, it's wow. a weird, funny thing that, that Tommy chose that one because it does play into that as well. So Nice little web that we... Uh... You know, pun, no. <laughs> sorry, the pun, pun unintended. Nice right. little web, though, that we put together with all our books here. That's cool. Yeah. So, yeah, I highly, I highly recommend that run. But that, to me, is a, that culmination issue. I've always loved it. Loved it since the first time I read it. All right. So, let's go to Clifton. So, Clifton, what's yours? We got some weird wavelength things going on because I've got an X-Men book <laughs> as, my, as my number one pick all today. Right. It is X-Men... God loves man kills. Oh, oh, geez, that's, that's nice. a good one. Nice. Which was that's originally right. published as Marvel graphic novel number five in 1982. So <laughs> technically, it's a graphic novel, but it's only 62 pages. Mm-hmm. 
which is shorter than some of the other issues I've listed before when we've done this. So I feel like it counts as an issue. Sure. You can sit down quickly and read that 62 pages. And also, it's available digital now, and you basically pay the same price for it that you do for a modern single-issue new comic book, Mm -hmm. uh, around $4 or so. So you can get it easily if you want to read it. But It's so worth it. Going back, I just reread it again just just to refresh myself with it, and I hadn't read it in a little while, but... I forget how much of what we know of as X-Men is actually in that book right. more than more than many of the other X-Men books, even at the same time. Yeah. The setup of it is that the X-Men aren't facing their normal foes this time. They're not facing, you know, the the evil mutants. They're not facing, you know, anything like Sentinels or government. They're having to debate a man named Reverend Stryker Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. who is a sort of televangelist with political aspirations Mm -hmm. and and kind of a cross between like a Pat Robertson and a Billy Graham and it turns out to be one of the most dangerous foes they've faced is is just this guy with, with hatred and an agenda and the Book opens with uh, some horrific scenes. The scene is is a lynching of two mutant children yeah. on a playground yeah, by a paramilitary organization. And the first, you know, kind of shocking thing from the book is that uh, it's not the X Men who find them. It's not our normal characters. The first person we see who finds these these uh, victims after the attack is Magneto. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's the first time it was presented where you as the audience think, huh, maybe Magneto's on to something yeah. after all. Right, yeah. <laughs> and like they set it up so you empathize there from the beginning. And it was the first time because uh, he shows up once the X-Men are under attack in the book and, and shows up saying, look, I'm here to help. Right. Like we've got a bigger thing to face here. Right. And, and it, was, it was the very first time they ever hinted at uh, Magneto's face turn <laughs> right, and shocks the characters throughout the book. I will say this story was the loose basis for X2. Mm-hmm. Yeah. X-Men United, the movie. Yeah. They change a lot, but you, when you do read it, you will see the ideas that they did carry over into the movie. One being their, their unlikely alliance with Magneto, yeah. their, their wary alliance with Magneto. Also Stryker who they turned into, you know, uh, like black ops military leader Yeah, mm-hmm. in the movie, which I, I feel like, I feel like it, it is kind of, uh, he is, a, he is a bigger villain in the book because like you've seen people like that and you've yeah. seen what power in real life those people have right? and, and the power they can wield for good or for wrong. Right. And, and that was always one of the most interesting aspects of the book to me was that they made that choice for the villain. Mm-hmm. It can't be stated how good this book is. Like, <laughs> you know, right. this is literally the book. Like, like anytime I have a friend that's like getting back in the comics and is like, it's like, you know, what can you recommend? It's not long before I get to this one. And I'm like, you know, yeah. it's from back in the day, but it's great. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah, it's by Claremont, who was the, you know, the architect of the X Men mm-hmm. at the time and of. Basically, what we still know as X-Men comes from Claremont yeah, uh, with additions by some other talented people. Mm-hmm. But that foundation is Claremont. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. 
The art is by Brent Anderson with colors by Steve Olaf. And again, it's like I mentioned on the Wolverine book before, it's just one where the the art and the colors work so well together Mm -hmm. to make it like really stand out. And looking at it again, I was like, this is 1982, but I'm like, this book's like still looks great yeah. in my opinion, even today. I was, yeah. I was going to ask you who the colorist was because like that first page is like, it's burnt in my head. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, like, I mean, and, and the colors are just so amazing on it. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the lineup is, is um, the lineup for the X-Men at that point in time is Cyclops, Storm, Colossus, Wolverine, Nightcrawler, Kitty Pride, who was going by Ariel at that time instead of Shadowcat. And then uh, Colossus's sister, Eliana, is there at a point where she's depowered, where she has, doesn't have powers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, again, like, it's one that you can jump on because you know these characters if you've seen the movies or the cartoons. Like, you can jump into this book just with some knowledge of the X-Men and completely, completely understand what's happening in, in this book. No, just the scene. I'm always, I'm always reminded. I talk about scenes from that one. I'm always seared to the. It's been seared to my head is the scene with uh, Striker pointing at Nightcrawler. I mean, like you dare call that thing human, yeah. right? You know that to me is and, and and how angry it makes Kitty. Yeah, yeah. Like that's where she loses it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I love that book. That book is great. But yeah, it's one of those. It's one of those. You know, when they talk about being feared and hated, you know, you really feel it in that book in particular. Yeah, I agree. No, I th- I think you know. I mean, for 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 being something they drive home so much in the modern books, it's like yeah, I think it like it really sticks out in that book so much more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. So I'm gonna do my number one, um, which is Clifton. I know you've read this one, and I was actually nervous that you were gonna pick it, so I'm happy you did. <laughs> um, I picked Multiversity, Thunderworld mm. Adventures. Oh, okay. okay. Right. So, um, multiversity was an event, uh, at DC that Grant Morrison, uh, was sort of the architect of, and it was, it was exploring the concept of the multiverse. And the main through line of this book was, uh, that comic books are the instrument in which the, the, like you can communicate with other universes, right? (laughs) Uh, so that sounds big. And scary right. and complicated and mm. not standalone at all. But the but the other like selling point of this of this series was that like each issue was a standalone thing, mm-hmm. right? And so so this was the the Captain Marvel, uh, known then now Shazam book. And this is like like my 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 first pick early on. Like this is everything you want to know about Captain Marvel Shazam, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? It's a little bit longer. It's about 40 pages, so it's, you know, it's, it's a deluxe issue, but um, interestingly enough, like this book reminds me of Kirby a lot. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, you know, we've, we've all talked at dinner and stuff and the thing you guys know, the thing that I love about Kirby is when I'm reading his stuff, especially like the seventies, like the, like the DC new God stuff is he's got like ideas just like falling out of his pockets. Right. <laughs> right. Where it's like each panel has an idea or a concept that like easily could carry its own story. And it's just like a sentence in a panel. And then he just moves on to something else. And that is like all over this issue. (laughs) Right. So there's, there's (laughs) like, so, so the setup for this is that Dr. Savannah is using the, the rock of eternity Mm -hmm. and he is going to manipulate the space time continuum to insert a new day in the week. 
And that's the day that Captain Marvel will die. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And there's all kinds of like, like time quakes and meeting yourself literally from tomorrow. And like, and like an air quote villain learning that all his parallel, like world counterparts are criminals. And it's like all this cool stuff. That's like, like that's, that's a book. That's a book. That's a book. <laughs> and it's like, and it's just like, it's just moments in this and it's all loaded with at the same time, like to give you an idea of the tone of the book, like it's got classic cliche lines, like, like, I just hope I make it in time, mm-hmm. you know, and like, it, we'll just see about that. Like, <laughs> right. It's, it's fantastic. So, yep. It's a good one. Really good one. Yeah. We got to do a big shout out to Cameron Stewart on the art on that one though, yeah. too, because it's like the cover of that is, is, I mean, it's as perfect a Captain Marvel Shazam drawing as you'll see. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and Nathan Fairbairn on colors on that one. Yeah. Oh, terrific book. So, yeah. So obviously that that's in the multiversity trade, but that's also a DC universe, which is where I, you know, I, I reread it last night. <laughs> yeah. In comicsology, yeah. I imagine. Yeah. It's fantastic. All right. So that's all of our uh, favorite single issues, but we wanted to end this one. So like, like, like our first episode, but we, we, we were, we were still kind of rough around the edges and we were still learning this thing. And we were, we thought that we were going to end every episode with sort of like, what are we reading now? Like, what, what are we excited about now? And we, and, and we kind of didn't stick with it, but we thought we'd bring it back for this episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so really quick, like, what do you guys all like, like, reading watching whatever that you're really digging well currently um our engineer suggested a movie i uh, said movie a show for me to watch and i'm currently watching the flight attendant with kaylee Co- Cuoco, 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 Cuoco. that didn't even sound right but anyway <laughs> i'm watching the flight attendant it's um on hbo max and i just started it so i'm fairly new into it but it's a um interesting show i don't want to say what it is because until you watch it you'll see what it is um, it's still funny. Okay. So, it, but it's not what Tushi was before. Sure. It's not Big Bang. Not Big Bang. <laughs> right. Not Harley Quinn. Um, not, I, I can't think of the name or it says my, uh, um, Eight Simple Rules for My Teenage Daughter. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Right. Going way back. Oh, yeah. But it's cool. interesting. I, it's, it's not what I expected. To be quite honest, I was done with her. Um, Harley <laughs> Quinn was a surprise. Mm-hmm. but she takes center stage with this and um a couple of actors on here that i recognize like rosie perez is in it okay. Mm-hmm. okay um and this one individual forget his name but he was on um dear white people okay as a character that made me laugh so to speak he plays okay. a um another flight attendant that's on the plane but he stands out in his own special way other than that i'm not saying a word please cool. i welcome you guys to see it when you can if nothing else, just watch the first episode to see if there's something that you'd like to watch. But I am digging it. Cool. All right. Frank, what are you what are you uh digging right now? Uh I'm I'm enjoying Crossover by Donny Cates and okay. Jeff Shaw. Mm-hmm. Uh basically the idea is um this is an image book. And basically the idea is in the small town in twenty seventeen, combat characters came to life in the real world. And their actions came um, caused a lot of unintentional um, destruction and death in, in Denver, Colorado. And they managed to um, they basically managed. Basically, it's kind of a crossover where basically like, like the superhero world is going into the into our world. I know it's been I think it's been you know explored in other things. I think 1985 with Mark Mark Miller 
was a similar idea, but I really liked the first issue. I thought it was a cool idea. It ends on a bit of not a, so much of a cliffhanger, but just of like a tease of what could come out of it. So I'm interested to see where it goes. I know I think it's on, I think issue three might be out now. I've not read issue two, but the first issue that I read recently, I really liked. So cool. Okay. Clifton, you're up. I'm late to the game on this one, but I finally started Cobra Kai. (laughs) (laughs) Season three just dropped. I'm only halfway through season one, so I still got some ways to go. But uh, so far in season one, um, I'm definitely loving the show. Mm -hmm. I grew up watching, I mean, Karate Kid one and two countless times and three and next Karate Kid less so, but I do like all of them. So I I was happy to see more. And and I just like, you know, they, they look at it from everything we knew before from the story from a different angle. And I was afraid it was going to get a little too cynical, like a little too snarky. <laughs> right. And, and it doesn't, no, it does not no. like it. It does have heart all around so far. Yep. And, okay. and while some people are being portrayed as antagonists this time, like they're not villains. No. Right. And some people who were antagonists before protagonists, but not, not perfect protagonists, mm-hmm. <laughs> definitely flawed protagonists. So, like, I like the layers and the depth that they're giving to everybody in this. Yeah, it does. It does a really fantastic job of of keeping you off balance of who the hero and who the villains are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really, really good. And who's who's the tragic characters? Right. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It does. Interesting. Absolutely. Cobra Kai comes up again. Yes, it's a good one. <laughs> Not on this show, but like, but I feel like this. I feel like every day this week. I, I bumped uh, into Cobra Kai somewhere. <laughs> well, see, that is why I started because I started I started seeing like glimpses of spoilers from season three, and was like, I need to get on this now. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> that's a good one. I was surprised by casting. Mm-hmm. The amount of detail they went with that show, as far as as far as people, like. Well, I'm only still five episodes in, so I don't know who <laughs> returns yet. Right. Uh, so save some surprise for me but uh, yeah that is one thing where a lot of people i think you know if you saw them in the movie there's a good chance they're back right right yeah no yeah well i mean to me i thought i was in the impression what's the guy well let me not say anything because i don't know where you are (laughs) but yeah but yeah Uh, (laughs) to anybody else out there who hasn't started so no to me that's what impressed me it it, it definitely impressed me given how long ago it was you know Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah. Yeah. So and you'll enjoy the ride. But yeah, just for anyone who might not be aware, it's, it's following uh, the lives of, of Ralph Macchio as, as good old Daniel LaRusso and, and William Zabka as Johnny Lawrence, where they are now after <laughs> the events that we know transpired in the Karate Kid films. Cool. All right. So uh, I'm going to say uh, Wolf Walkers which was the the animated movie that 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 popped up on on uh, Apple Apple TV. All right, I've I've been meaning to check this one out. It looks great. My wife and I checked this out. I love this movie. It's awesome. First of all, it's stunning to look at. So, mm-hmm. it's one of those you could watch with the sound down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but you shouldn't. The story's great too. <laughs> um, you know, it's one of those like like medieval set set pieces and uh and you know, there there's a a daughter um who whose father is you know hunting wolves he he leaves the city city gates and goes out to the woods and tries to hunt wolves because there's a wolf problem out there in the woods and and um uh the lord 
the ruler of the city is desperately trying to get rid of all the wolves so that they could clear out all the trees to expand the city. And they find uh, the, the, the daughter finds uh, a girl out there who uh, essentially is raised by a pack of wolves. Uh, okay. That's all I'll say. It is awesome. It is nice. fantastic. Hmm. So check it out. Wolf walkers. Cool. All right. So uh, we will make sure to post all the covers to all the issues that we talked about on let me know how it is com. So that way uh, you can have a reference if you want to track them down. Be sure to tell us in the comments what's your favorite one and done. And please remember to like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash let me know how it is. And follow us on Twitter at our show's initials LMKHII. Thanks for listening. See you next time. <laughs>